0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, this is uh, such a fun interview I get to share with you guys. Uh, it's really energizing. I left this interview just fired up about medicine and the future and what's possible and where we're all going. So I hope that this uh, this conversation has as much of an impact on you as it did on me, just as far as get, being excited about the future and, and the things that we can do as uh caregivers. Anyway, I'm not going to give you too much more about it. Uh, It starts off with a social media post that kind of shook up Vet Medicine a few weeks ago, and it unpacks from there. So guys, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. David Bessler, CEO and founder of Veterinary Emergency Group. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary curve. Welcome to the Cone of
1: Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke.
0: Welcome, Dr. David Bessler. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Man, it's it's really great to meet you. This is the first time that you and I have gotten to talk, and I um I am absolutely thrilled uh, to, to have you on the podcast and to talk to you. You are doing some things that have kind of popped up on my radar, and at first I was like, "Huh, that's interesting," and then all of a sudden I see you and Veterinary Emergency Group kind of all over the place, and I um I'm just really excited to talk to you about what you're doing there. Uh, can we um can I can I jump right in? Can I tell you how I found out about you? Let's do it. All right. I have a friend, uh, he is the, I uh, think, the chief nursing officer, I think is his title, at chief VEG. veterinary nursing officer. Chief veterinary nursing, yep, good, good point. Um, chief veterinary nursing officer um, at VEG, which is Veterinary Emergency Group, which is, uh, you are the founder and CEO. Um, so, uh, Ken Yagi is his name. I, I'm a big fan of Ken. He posted on the social medias a while ago. Um, that veg was looking for credentialed veterinary, or sorry, a number of technicians. Credentialed veterinary technicians will earn twenty-three to forty dollars an hour. Veterinary technician specialists are thirty-eight to forty-eight fifty an hour, depending on the geographic region, experience, skill set. Uh, veterinary assistants earn eighteen to thirty-five dollars an hour if there's no veg near you, we're hiring credentialed veterinary technicians to join our travel team. And I was kind of like, what is that? And then, um, not credentialed as a veterinary technician, we offer a credential support program that fully covers tuition, pays for all exam and licensing fees, and has a $5,000 completion bonus with no contract to stay with us, but we're confident that you'll want to. And that was the social media post that I saw. And it kind of blew up. There was a mixture of like celebration and fear and some anger and some confusion. And um, people were like, that's just not how things are, are done in this profession. And I gotta say, I saw a ton of conversation about, around this specific uh, social media post. And so that led me to check out your website. So it's the first time I look at Veterinary Emergency Group's website. And on the website, which I, which is a great website, um, there's a video of you right at the top, and you were saying outlandish things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what we do best. <laughs> yes, and
0: I was like, I, my head exploded. I just, I had to process some of the stuff you're talking about. So before I get into to that stuff, because I, I just want to talk to you about it and what you're doing, I, I. Th- I think you're really exciting for our profession, quite honestly. Um, tell me a bit. Let's just start with the, um, let's, let's step back a, a moment and just give me the vision for veg. Why don't, why don't you tell me your story a little bit?
1: So uh, I'm a career emergency doctor. So I've always done it. And um, I used to work, I used to be the emergency doctor in specialty hospitals. That was my niche. Um, and in 2014, I set out on my own and I bought one emergency clinic. It was a small, dinky emergency hospital in White Plains, New York. And that had been built by all the local veterinarians about 20 years before that. And my wife and I uh, took over. She was a hospital administrator. Uh, I worked as an emergency doctor there, and we really turned things around. Um, we uh, did things in a way that nobody else has ever done emergency before. And that made the place really successful. In 2015, we, we built another place from scratch, and that one uh, took off and did really, really well. In 2016, I got an email from my business partner out of the blue. He, he just kind of Googled entrepreneurial vet near me and uh, ended up with me. <laughs> he's he's uh, an amazing guy. He uh, has a background in, uh, in business and private equity. He's always wanted to help build a business. And in uh, 2017, uh, we found an amazing investor uh, and uh, managed to uh, convince him to invest in us. And, and they helped us buy our third practice that was in Lyndhurst, New Jersey uh that was uh, uh july of 2017 july 11th 2017 and then david and i uh together uh from there have gone from like you said from those three hospitals in 2017 to the 24 hospitals that we have today and um we we divide up the roles i think really really well where um i am the uh emergency doctor and um kind of inspirational uh inspirational emergency leader and david is the leader of our business strategy in our company and helps us um, find the resources that we need to achieve the success that we need.
0: If, if someone was thinking about uh, taking on a partner or they were thinking about starting a a veterinary hospital and and thinking about a partner model, what advice would you give? I mean, you, you guys seem to be making it work. Um, If there was any, just, just things that you learned about working effectively with a partner. I'm always fascinated how, how sort of two people come in and you've got such a, such a big vision. Um, Surely there's a little bit of, of, of tugging you know, tugging, tugging back and forth uh, about, about where things are going, or, or have you worked through that? I
1: think we worked through it. I, I think the name of the game is alignment. Uh, uh, David Gladstein and I are completely aligned on the mission and vision of VEG. We both want VEG to be the world's veteran emergency company. We understand, we are in agreement about what that looks like. Uh, if we kind of both imagine five, 10, 15 years from now, what VEG looks like, we, we have the same picture in our heads. And we just divide up the roles like that where um, uh, it's really like a marriage. Um, there are just some things that uh, that David does and some things that I do. Uh, sometimes we say uh, we're responsible for growth and culture. I tend to the culture, he tends to the growth. We both care tremendously about both, um, but I tend to one and he tends to the other. Uh, that's maybe, you know, maybe that's true. We also have, just, we're both mature people and we, uh, we like to uh you know assumption of positive intent i know that he has the best intentions and if we disagree on something i try to see things his way because i know there must be something there and he does yeah. the same for me and so because of that i think we actually have an amazing partnership we just we just work so well together part of that i think is because we both bring such different skill sets to the table i am uh you know David can get as much, you know, he can get more done in a day than than I can in a week or a month. He's just extremely organized and and efficient and effective. Um, I am much more big picture, flighty, uh, you know, type of person. Uh, he's much more of a um, numbers and business person. And I'm much more of a kind of big picture culture person. And our I think our our skill sets are complementary, and that helps us really get along and get things done well.
0: I, I think it's I think it's fantastic that. not only do you spot the difference in personalities that you guys have, but also just see your differences in the ways of working. Uh, I've I've been lucky to be surrounded by very good process people, uh, people who are good at checking boxes and making to do lists and setting timetables and, and getting those things done. I am at my best when I work with a lot more freedom, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and I get to walk outside a little bit and, you know, and just, uh, just sit and think and, and tinker and, and jot things down and, and, uh, you look at the end of the day and you go what did Andy do and i was like this is the process <laughs> this is the, there's there's a lot of a lot of sitting there's a sitting under the tree i guess and sort of uh, sort of visualizing and thinking but i think really when you put those two personality types together is when you really get something amazing it sounds like that's that's the direction you guys are headed
1: yeah i think somebody a uh, very smart person who uh, who i i love his advice he when i was forming this relationship with dave and we were deciding whether we should allow him into you know, into this thing that was my my, my wife and I, the, our baby for um, for a few years, like the most important thing to us, he asked me these three questions, he said, uh, he said, is he smart? And I said, absolutely. He's like one of the smartest guys I know. Is he hardworking? And I'm like, absolutely. He is one of the hard work, hardest working people I know. And is he a good person? And he's got a heart of gold. And so uh, you can't go wrong. If you have somebody that has those three things, I think that those are the, the, the things that you need for a great partner.
0: What does your wife think about this? Um, I, you know, people always say, you know, what's it like having the married couple running the practice? And like, uh, is she um, is she as veg as you are, or is uh, is, is she just? I don't know. Like, what what do you think her perspective is on on all of this that
1: you're that you have going on? It's funny. I think we share we share the same values the the values of togetherness, openness heroic helping and meaningful moments. Those are our Veg's values. Those are my values. And I think my wife and I, um, we have the most amazing marriage. We've, we've been together for, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. We were together for three years before that. We've never had a fight. Um, and I think it's because we really we share all those values. And uh, David share those, shares those values as well. Marnie started, she was a hospital administrator when we bought our first hospital. She's an optometrist by trade um, and served as our hospital administrator because it was our, you know, this is our, our business. Uh, As soon as we started growing, she went back into her own business and started her an optometry business in uh, in, in our house. Um, She has her office, like, adjacent to our house. She loves Veg. Veg uh, uh, has always been, like, our fourth child, and she follows everything that Veg does, and she um, gives me amazing advice and amazing input. Uh, David is like my work wife, um, but uh, (laughs) I I think sometimes uh, she's maybe... And her, my kids as well. I think sometimes they're a little jealous of uh, of veg because it takes a bunch of my time, but they all participate in veg. They all the kids wear our swag, come to our hospitals. They they love the business aspect of things. They ask questions about it. They really participate in veg, which I think is great because if your dad is gonna be on this amazing rocket ship and go through this amazing experience, um, you know, it would suck to be his son and not be able to participate in some way. So they, yeah. they're doing it, which is great.
0: Tell me how this. A job ad came to be. So let's start. Let's start with how the support staff interface with that vision. So yeah, um, the the job ad that I saw. You know, generally people are like, wow, the, that's that's more money than, than than most support staff are sort of paid. And then and then there's the education component to it. I don't even know what the traveling team is. Um, tell tell me a bit. Tell me a bit about your support staff. How you use your support staff and how they interact with your vision.
1: So uh, the one thing we We like to reimagine things uh, from the ground up, question the default. And so the word support staff for us uh, is a weird one in that we certainly are guilty, like everybody else, of using it. But I don't know really what support staff are. We have roles in our hospitals that are all necessary. We have doctors, we have nurses, we have assistants, we have receptionists. And they're all necessary for the perfect emergency experience, for running the perfect emergency hospital. Um, and they all provide value because without them, there would be no emergency experience. And so this notion that nurses are doctor helpers is, uh, a kind of false dichotomy. It's just, it's not real. Nurses are not doctor helpers. Nurses do things for patients that honestly, at least I can speak for myself, um, doctors really can't do or can't do well and, um, don't do on a day-to-day basis. And so... Just talking about our nurses, they're a vital, essential role in the hospital. They provide value to customers. We call them customers, not clients, but they provide right. value to customers. And so they should be paid for the value they provide. Assistants are the same way. They just have a different role as a receptionist. I and mean, everybody knows the value of a receptionist being, you know, the first space you see when you walk in, the last space you see when you leave. Everybody, every business owner knows how important receptionists are. And the question is, do they pay them uh, according to that value that they provide? So we're just, we're doing that. And when we evaluated our nurses, we realized for a profession that you ideally should be credentialed um, to do, really, I don't know, of. my barber has a license. I don't know, um, you know, general veterinary uh, nurses should, you know, they need credentialing, they should be credentialed. It's unusual that they get paid so little. Um, You know, I see many nurses get paid less than my babysitter. That doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think, I think a lot of clarity in what that looks like in practice comes from the video I was talking about uh, that's on the website. When you tell the story of um, of taking your son to the emergency room, can you mm-hmm. sort of uh, can you sort of lay that out a little bit? Because I think it it starts to show people what it means when you say these they have very specific roles and, and uh, the way that they interact with the customers um, is meaningful.
1: Yeah. So I had somebody wanna wonder- Somebody that I was talking to was was talking about how our culture, we have something called our manifesto, which is like our Bible. It's how we do things. And it's a secret document internally. And they were saying, it's just one of our veggies was saying that they don't think the manifesto is that important. The only important thing is great medical care. And I stopped them and I said, I don't think you believe that. When your mother takes her pet to the veterinarian, what can go wrong? all the things that can go wrong, they waited too long, they paid too much, whatever it might be, that's nothing to do with medical care. So you're not, the only thing that is important to you is not just medical care. Your entire experience there is important to you. And so when I took my son to the emergency room, I was terrified. And he had trouble breathing. I imagined he was like a cat. And I thought that, you know, he had trouble breathing. So he was like, you know, minutes from death. In reality, he was just kind of having an asthma thing. And Um, I took him to the to the emergency room and they never in a million years would have uh, taken him away from me into the back. And uh, he was terrified. And so I clearly, you know, I went with him uh, to the back, but he was so scared. uh, He was scared of them putting like the pulse oximeter on his ear. He was terrified of that. He had to put a mask on his face to help him breathe. He was terrified of that. The nurses that were there helped him through that. They helped him get comfortable with putting the mask on his face. They helped him uh, be, uh, feel calm uh, putting on the pulse oximeter. They allowed me to hold on to him, this idea that like while they did that, you know, if they took him out of my, uh, out of my arms and tried to do things to him, um, he would have kicked and screamed and tried to bite them. But they allowed me, of course, naturally to hold on to him. Uh, so I held him in my arms while they did that. In the veterinary world today, it's totally different. In the veterinary world, you go there and they're like the first thing they do, you're terrified about your pet is they take your pet away from you. They take your dog into the back. And now suddenly your dog is um uh separated from you with people he or she doesn't know. And they're doing all sorts of stuff to him, poking him, prodding him, sticking him with needles, that kind of stuff. That just it doesn't make sense. Um you know, animals, people are animals and we experience the same emotions, especially visceral animal emotions like separation from your family. So um, at Veg, when you walk in, you are greeted by a receptionist, but you're taken immediately to the back with your pet. And um, right away, uh, your needs are tended to, your, uh, you're seen by a doctor, a nurse, an assistant, a receptionist right away, they kind of descend upon you and start dealing with your problems. So you don't, you're not separated from your pet at any point. So um, we get, our nurses get thank you cards from clients, um, uh, you know, routinely, where that's a rare occurrence in other places, it's always the doctor who's like kind of the face of the case, they get the thank you cards. Our nurses get the thank you cards very often because they're the ones who are um, in constant contact with patients and with people. In a typical emergency visit, the doctor puts their hands on the patients, you know, just a couple of times here and there to recheck, that kind of thing. The nurses have their hands on their patients all the time, every two minutes. They're the ones who are getting their pain medication on time. They're the ones who are monitoring their pain. Um, They're the ones who are interacting with the customers. Uh, you know, on an ongoing basis every, every two minutes. And so they're just a huge part of the experience for the customers and they value that. How, so
0: that was, a, of the list of things that, that you were sort of saying on this video that I just, I had to just listen to twice. You know, you say um, when clients come to Veg, they, they don't fill out paperwork. They get seen by the doctor before they fill out any forms. Um, is that is that true? I've just been since, yeah. since i heard. I'm like, how do you do that? I, I I'm I am I am at a loss of like when you say that I go, that sounds beautiful. And also, I just I can't bend my head around what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I think what it looks like is um, there are, we have one big treatment area. We call it the back. Most people say, let's not call it the back. Let's call it a treatment area because the back sounds creepy. But once everybody is allowed into the back, there's, n- there's nothing wrong with calling it the back. So we just call it the back. Yeah. And so people okay. walk in, we take them straight to the back. Uh, what most people don't realize about VEG is that all of the families with all of their emergencies are all there at the same time in the back. So there's, you, you walk in and there's, there are several families dispersed uh, throughout the treatment area, throughout the back, all getting treatment at the same time. And so you walk in, uh, you don't stop, and um, I mean, today with COVID, COVID actually forced us to do some pretty fancy stuff uh, with our um, medical, our electronic medical record system. You can actually fill out paperwork in your car, and your phone, on your way in. Uh, So that certainly saves some time. But when you walk in, the first thing that's on your mind is, you know, I need some medical attention. And so we don't put a clipboard in front of you um, when you're asking for medical attention. We just bring you straight to the back where you can start getting some medical attention from our doctors and our nurses.
0: So you have, so the clients come straight Do you have exam rooms? I mean, maybe that's the silly question, but do you have exam rooms or does everything just get worked up in the back?
1: Yeah, we do. Uh, exam rooms for us is a bit of a misnomer. They're more like privacy rooms that you can't go from the lobby uh, into a, an exam room. There's no direct connection between that because nobody does that. All of our exam rooms are actually little rooms that are off of the, the main treatment area in the back. And so if you... Uh, you walk in. You're in the back. If you're just if it's too noisy, um, you can go into a quote-unquote exam room. You control that. You control your being in and not being in an exam room. People don't put you in an exam room. You don't have to stay there. If you want to go back out into the main treatment area, you could just go back out. There's no receptionist that's like a gatekeeper or anything like that. It's really just a place for you. In fact, one of my favorite things is we have these blinds on the door. We have full-length windows um, on the door to these exam rooms that look out onto the treatment area and we have this, these blinds and the control for the blinds is on the customer side, on the inside of the exam room. You decide if you want it open or closed. Nobody's gonna like shut the blinds so that you can't see. You can shut yeah. the blinds if you don't want to see. You can keep the door open if you like. You can also walk out if you like. So there are more privacy rooms than exam rooms.
0: Jamie, tell me about your your favorite cat. Um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. Her name is Calico Jack, and she's missing her upper uh, and her lower canines, um, and she's just a delight. Uh, Calico Jack and the rest of your crew all drink from the Filacqua uh, water system, correct? They do. I like to. Tell me about it. I, I love it. It's a smart system, so every time... The cats come up, it registers their microchip and it tells me how much they've had to drink in a given period of time. So I can make sure that none of them are drinking too much or drinking too little. Yeah, the uh, Falaqua is from Sure Pet Care as part of their connected ecosystem. Guys, uh, this has been something that uh, Jamie and I have gotten to play with for the last couple of months and it is super cool. Uh, we know that water intake is a huge flag for uh, for disease and uh, illness in our feline patients, and we want to stay on top of it, and we want pet owners to know uh, what their cat is drinking. This is a great approach to it. If you want to learn more, head over to surepetcare.com water. That's surepetcare.com water. I'll put the link in the show notes. Hey, gang, I just want to jump in here real quick, give you some quick announcements Over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, that's the other podcast that I co-host with the amazing Stephanie Goss, this week's episode is called The Monster That Eats New Grads for Breakfast. Uh, This is about, uh, we got a letter from a recent graduate who is working in a practice with an associate vet who the other staff members literally call the monster, as in don't wake the monster. Uh, apparently a good doctor, but has a temper and uh, can be uh, can be hard on people. And the whole team kind of tiptoes around this person. What do we do with that? And so Stephanie Goss and I break that down. If that sounds of interest, go check it out. It is a fun episode. It is a good episode. We talk a lot about culture, communicating with doctors, things like that. Also on the Uncharted side, we have our next workshop coming up. It is called Team Power adding value to your visits. It is with Dr. Marianne Vandalindi, who is a communication specialist. She is amazing. She trained me to work in the exam room. I wouldn't, don't hold that against her. Uh, but she really is the real deal and she knows her stuff. Her workshop is from 7 to 9 PM Eastern time on September 22nd. It is all about getting more clients from no to yes. She's she's teaching you how to use your practice values to get the whole team on the same page. That means more buy-in, more cohesion, and more client compliance. If that sounds like something you would be interested in, uh, the workshop is free to Uncharted members. It is $99 to the public. I am putting a link down below. And beyond that, the one last thing that is on the horizon, we don't want to forget, registration is open for the Uncharted Culture Conference. That's right. Culture Conference, October 21st through 23rd. It is a virtual conference. It is all about working with your team leaders to build and maintain awesome culture in your practice. If you're liking the episode you're listening to right now, A Cone of Shame, then you're probably about culture and you're probably thinking about your culture. Guys, we would love to have you and your other team leaders there at our conference on the 23rd of October, 21st to 23rd, and uh, to show you that we'd love to have all of you there, uh, we're doing buy two, get one free. So if you've got a three-person leadership team and you're like, all three of us should go together and we should look at this and we should learn together and then we'll all be on the same page and we can all bring our knowledge and excitement back to the practice and that's how we're gonna really make a difference. You're right, that's totally what you should do and that totally makes sense and that's totally how it works. And so uh, head down to the show description and hit that link and get registered for the Uncharted Culture Conference. All right, that's enough from me. Without further ado, let's get back. Into this episode. Okay. You say, um, when you're sort of talking about this, that, you know, we, we find a way to say yes to pet owners. And you talk about people, you want to FaceTime your pet in the middle of the night. You can do that. And, um, and can I give the pet the medication myself? And can I, can I sleep on the floor next to my pet's cage? And you, you say that. You're open to that, and then you talk about people coming in and going straight into the back. It seems like your treatment room is a music festival with people sleeping <laughs> and and passing out and administering drugs. Uh, like that's what it's that's what. It is. There's got to be some order to this, isn't there? Or I mean, are there as an emergency clinic? I'm sure that it seems like pandemonium would reign supreme, but uh, but I I I can't imagine that's true. D- does it get out of control sometimes, or do you find that people? generally are very respectful of the open space and the needs of others? I think
1: the latter. I think there certainly, there is, emergency is about chaos. The chaos comes from the unpredictability of what's going, of what's going to happen. How many cases are going to walk in at a time, which types of cases are going to come in. But the way that we tackle that is we allow for, we, we believe in the natural order of things. Um, in that, If you think about it, if if veterinary medicine and emergency medicine had never existed until this moment, and we decided we're just gonna create this thing called emergency vet hospitals. And the reality is you have people with pets that have problems, they're worried about them, they need care, they're looking for veterinary emergency care providers. And we have a building full of veterinary emergency care providers. And if you put the two together, people will walk in needing help from somebody and they would meet somebody there to give them that help. All the other things that have been put up in the way are all this sort of our human desire to kind of add control and, and make things more orderly. But in the end, we lose a bunch from those things, and maybe they don't actually work. So, for example, this idea of a clipboard. Wouldn't it be helpful if we got your information before, you know, before the doctor or nurse saw you? Wouldn't it be helpful if we had your information, you know, uh, if we got your information while you waited? This idea of like waiting didn't exist. So we put all these things in place. Or an exam room. Let's put you into this room. Uh, and you just wait there until somebody, a care provider, comes to answer your questions. That's a human invention. Uh, it's a human inter- intervention. It comes came from the right place. Like it's they, people want to make things better. But sometimes, in your effort to make things better, you make things overall worse. The clipboard, the exam rooms, a triage system, uh, not being able to speak with a doctor when you call, um, all those things are our interventions that, in the end, just make things worse. So we, we get all rid of all those things. We break down those barriers, break down those walls and just leave things to happen the way they naturally would. You came in holding your pet, you're gonna continue holding your pet until there's a reason for you not to be holding your pet. You call to speak with a doctor, you'll speak with a doctor because that's what you asked to do. You're a paying customer. You wanna stay with your pet? You can stay with your pet because that's what you asked to do. Until we have a great reason why something shouldn't happen, we let it happen. And the end result is things take care of themselves. People are very respectful. They're very patient. There's no more of this like calling back you know, from the front, like the Joneses wanna know how much longer it's gonna be. like that doesn't happen because they see like, oh, my dog's paw pad laceration is not getting fixed because that dog's leg is falling off. Um, and the doctors and nurses are tending to that dog and his bigger emergency. And so yeah. things just fall into place because we leave them natural.
0: When, one of the most sort of inspiring uh, quotes I saw from you, I, you were talking about uh, joining the veg team, and you, you, I, I believe it was a quote from you, and you said, um, this is a career that will make you feel like a superhero. And I, th- I think when you talk about people walking in and uh and going directly to the back and and interfacing directly with the doctor and the and the technicians or uh you know the nurses playing playing such an integral role in care, you know, I've always believed that one of the most beautiful things about veterinary medicine is that it's a it's a career with purpose, right? That there's meaning in this work, and I just I I found that to be honestly the the number one reason to do this is you want to do something that matters or do something that that you feel. Truly, help, truly helps people, you put your hands on a problem and you fix it and you make a difference and you improve the world for someone. And so I just, I, th- I think that sort of, as I learn about kind of the way you guys run your, your practice, it, I, I, that seems quite accurate to me. Would, would you agree that that sort of, a uh, don't know, it, it, when, when people come into Veg and you ha- hire doctors, is that sort of a mentality that you guys try to promote of you are, you are a superhero, meaning you are, you're not pushing paper, you're, you're actively more involved?
1: Yeah, there's a, a great quote from uh, a guy named Donald Berwick, who's a, who's a human MD. And he said, if any work ought to give spiritual satisfaction to the workers, this is it. Joy, not burnout, ought to rule the day. And it's that, like, we're in this, if you ask any eight-year-old kid, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They'll tell you, like, an astronaut, you know, jet fighter, or an emergency vet. And um, I just, to me, it doesn't make sense that uh, you can be unhappy in a, such a noble career. And so what we're inviting everybody to do, I think personally, emergency veterinary medicine is the best way to practice veterinary medicine. And I discovered that during my internship because I felt like a hero for people. People came in, they had a huge problem that was really, really stressing them out. I had the answer to it. I saved the day. I was their hero. That's what this career is about. And um, you need to connect people to that. If you're going to be successful and create a successful business that employs and attracts veterinarians. You need to connect people to that. You need to allow them to be the heroes that they are. Um, That's why veterinarians and veterinary nurses go into this because of the heroic nature of it. And you have to remove everything so that that heroism shines through. Keeping people with their pets does that because they can see exactly the miraculous work that they're doing. When a nurse puts a catheter in like a tiny kitten leg, that is amazing. And if the beneficiary of that care, not just the kitten, the owner, pet owner, if they can't see that, it's like getting a massage while you're under general anesthesia. It's like, you're missing like the whole thing that you paid for. Um, (laughs) It's amazing. And then kind of, they can thank you to your face and say like, wow, it is amazing what you just did. That is amazing. You feel great about yourself. That's your natural reward. Putting up barriers makes all that go away and makes the profession unrewarding.
0: What do you see when you look ahead at our profession overall? Like we're in a time of change. Uh, you know, there's sort of corporate consolidation. Um, we have a rise in the number of pet owners in this country and the, and the number of pets that we're seeing and things like that. When you look ahead into your crystal ball, and I know crystal balls have been notoriously staticky in the last few years, but, um, but when you look ahead in your crystal ball at the profession at large, what do you see? What, what do you think is coming?
1: I think it all comes down to value. I think, and, and value is what people value, right? When you talk about providing value, your customers decide on value. And so when I look into the future, I think I see a crunch where uh, there's going to be a reckoning with the things that are valuable to pet owners. Um, that's what they will pay money for. And those are the businesses that will succeed. If you're trying to provide something that is not valuable or not, uh, doesn't cost, uh, that the price you're charging is not appropriate for the value that you're that you're providing, um, that those things will, will will really kind of feel feel that crunch. And the way I see it is, I think veterinarians have placed uh, a tremendous amount of um, uh, of weight on selling products um, like uh, like a heartworm flea preventative, things like that. Um, the those are those things are I don't know but they're being devalued but uh, we're finding you know, all sorts of ways where people are finding a way I can get that cheaper. The value that my veterinarian provides me is not in the products that they sell me. It's I want their advice. I want the peace of mind that they can give me. I want the relationship that I have with them that I'll pay for. The other things I won't. And so if I look to the futures, we really, the businesses that are gonna succeed are the ones that really dive deep into what is the exact value that I'm providing to this customer and how can i charge for that how can i provide it in the best way possible and charge for that those are going to be the successful businesses that's why i think uh, emergency is perfectly positioned for that because there is real real value yeah i need help now and i'm willing to pay for it if you can provide it in a great way um i will pay you a lot of money for that
0: yeah no that 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 totally makes sense well, you know um when when we talk about value there's always a contextual asset or a component to it right it's always um what I see value in the things that I need that, or that are emergent to me. And so emergency medicine has always, no one questions the value when they're coming in the door. They, they generally, they, uh, it doesn't mean that they don't, that you don't hear <laughs> complaints about price, but still generally, it's not the value cell that say a wellness visit can be for a general practitioner when the person feels like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm coming in because I got an, an email, but I, but I don't really know uh, if this is necessary. What do you see uh,
1: going forward for VEG? Where, where are you going from here? I think we've had tremendous success in marching towards, towards our vision of becoming the world's veterinary emergency company. There are um, many uh, other aspects to our, to our vision statement. For example, uh, you started off talking about uh, our, uh, our compensation for our, for our nurses. One line in our vision statement is VEG is the best place to work if you're interested in a career in emergency medicine. Our employees brag about their jobs and their friends are jealous. We, we deliberately work towards that and we're achieving that. Um, we also have the first part, which is veg is the best place to bring your pet. When you're having an emergency, people pass by bigger and fancier hospitals to come to us because they know we'll treat them and their pets the way they want. It's not, the value proposition is not that we're the biggest and fanciest. We don't have the biggest and fanciest machines necessarily. We don't have people with the most letters after their names. Um, people come to us because we'll treat them the way they want. And we've made great strides towards that, figuring out how do you want to be treated? Well, you want us to sit on the floor. You want us to find a way to say yes. You don't want to fill out paperwork before you're seen. You want to speak to a doctor when you're called. You want to see a doctor right away. That's what we focus on. Um, and so I think we're going to continue to refine those things and get better and better at it. And eventually we will be the world's veterinary emergency company. There are people all over the world who have pets. Uh, they care about those pets. Those pets get into shenanigans and they're going to need somebody to help them uh, in their time of need. That's our mission, helping people and their pets when they need it most. And so um, I think, I call it the world domination clause. I think we will achieve that mission. Um, we will achieve that part of our vision and we will be the world's veteran emergency company.
0: All right. So I want to ask you this. is I, what I, I'm afraid it'll be a very tough question, uh, but I just want to be totally candid with you because I feel like a lot of people listening probably think, that, that I brought you on to do a veg commercial, and that was not, that was not my intention. The, the truth is, I look at what you're doing, and I look at this system where pet owners call the emergency doctor, and they get to talk to the doctor, and then they see the doctor, that same doctor, when they get there, and then they walk straight in, and they see the doctor before they fill out any paperwork, and, um, and they can kind of walk in and go wherever they want and at the same time it sounds great at the same time the deafening roar that i hear in our profession is um emergency clinics are overwhelmed there's too many pets coming in they're at 9 hour waits they're turning people away they're at capacity and david i'll be honest and say i i i want i want to believe in what you're doing but you got to help me here convince me that that these two things square together because when i when i think about what I hear as far as demand, and I think about the sort of the high touch system that you're doing, I, I got to tell you, my fear is that it would be a nightmare in practice as far as actually getting this done. And so, walk me through that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you asked. It's a tough question, and I'm really proud of our answer. Um, it, it involves discussing ideals um, and reality and understanding the reason why we do these things. So, let me touch on the first one. The ideal is that you call and speak with a doctor. The ideal is that you see a doctor right away. Uh, the ideal is that we find a way to say yes. There are exceptions. During normal times, the exceptions are few and far between, and there's no threat that making an exception here or there changes the ideal. During COVID, it's been a struggle for everybody. Our caseload is tripled with the emergency people at the center of all of this. Um, other emergency places close. They divert their cases to us, we don't close it's become extremely difficult, which means the exceptions become more common, more frequent. Five cases walk in at the same time, they can't all see the same doctor right away. Somebody's gonna go first. Yeah. Um, a million questions, questions—you know, phone calls come in, they can't all be answered by a doctor all the time. And so we allow exceptions, we're realists, we allow exceptions. During COVID, the exceptions become more frequent. What we have to avoid and what we tell all our people when we preach from the mountaintops is just because there are exceptions, doesn't mean you move the ideals. The ideal stays where it is, which means the last 20 cases you saw, the doctor couldn't answer, them, couldn't answer the phone. If on the 21st case, if you are free, you answer the phone. Yeah. If six cases come in, can't all see a doctor at the same time, that's fine. You try to see them as soon as they walk in. That's the ideal. So that's one, that's one aspect. We talk about ideals and reality. And we always have to like, safeguard it to make sure we write them down. We write the ideals down. There are spikes. We call them our spikes. We hang them on the wall. The ideals are there. So that no matter how many exceptions there are, the ideal still stays the same. You can't move the goalpost. So that's one. But the other side is, why should I even strive for the ideal? What's the point? Why strive for the ideal if there's always exceptions? And the answer is the reason why these ideals are there. I'm an emergency vet. I suffered compassion fatigue and burnout and what I think is actually the most significant effect, which is primary trauma. I've been called a murderer by my clients. I've been told that I'm only interested in it for the money. I've been yelled at by my bosses. I've been made to feel like a terrible person. That's primary trauma and it sits with me. I have designed Veg because I I worked in it myself as an ER doctor. I designed it to be sustainable and rewarding and fulfilling for ER people. So that the best way to avoid clients yelling at you is don't make them angry by making them wait. Don't make them angry by not letting them speak with the doctor. Don't make them angry by charging for everything that you do. Just because our business people decided you have to charge for everything that you do does not make it acceptable to our customers. If they don't see the value in what you did, they're not going to want to pay you for it. and if you make them pay you for it before you treat their pets, they're going to be angry at you, and they're going to lash out at you and they're going to traumatize you. So the reason why we find a way to say yes and sit on the floor and see a doctor right away is for our benefit to protect us from angry clients and in a positive way to allow us to provide the best value to our clients so that we feel like the heroes that we are. So you have to understand the reason why the ideals are what they are and then safeguard them so that they don't move.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here. I just, I I love to hear the vision from you and just sort of talk through what you were doing. I think, I think what you're doing is really exciting, honestly, for the profession and just, um, you know, uh, I've had, a, I've had a number of friends who have worked at open practices and I remember sort of just hearing that for the first time a couple of years ago and it was truly terrifying when I, when I, you know, when I, when I heard about it and you go, oh my God, what does that look like? And they love it. I mean, I just, just people who generally practice an open, an open hospital model, um, they, they love it. And it's, it's really just kind of become a romantic idea for me. I think I, I, um as someone who always wants to show our 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 pet owners the value of what we do and who wants, you know, the staff to be recognized and the doctors to be recognized as actually doing good work, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. So just to 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 have someone who's uh who's growing rapidly, you have you have uh hospitals all over the country now and uh your model seems to be working. And um boy, if you talk to the veggies, as you call them, they're they're huge fans. As soon as I started asking around, people were just like the people who are there, they love it
1: there. Yeah, you know, there's. Uh, you mentioned an open hospital concept. We have uh, one of our core values, we have four core values. One of them is openness. You can see that playing out in our hospital layout and our flow, right? It's an open treatment area, um, an open hospital where people can kind of come and go as they please and stay wherever they want. Um, openness plays out in VEG in lots of different ways. We're, um, we're very forthcoming with all of our people about what our plans are. Everybody is welcome at Veg Quarters, called uh, well, Veg Quarters. Everybody's welcome at Veg Quarters to come in and hang out and um, participate in meetings. Um, we were talking about nurse compensation. Uh, one big piece of news that we're about to drop is in the spirit of openness, we reevaluate uh, our business practices, look at things that we think are just the default, and we're doing them because everybody before us did them. And we reevaluate those things and we find the things that don't make sense, the walls that don't make sense and we tear them down. And so this week we're actually going to announce that we are canceling all of our doctors' non-competes. We are just removing them uh, from existence. So all of our doctors are free to go and practice wherever they want. Uh, We just don't believe that non-competes are fair. We think that they're closed and not open um, and they just don't make sense. We're also offering equity opportunities for all our doctors so that they can become shareholders in VEG, every single one of our doctors. On top of that, Um, we're offering a debt pay down uh, option where we're paying down uh, up to $5,250 a year for uh, all of our doctors and nurses um, to help pay down their educational debt. We're just laying those things out. We're constantly looking for ways to improve, but most importantly, looking at legacy things that don't make sense and eliminating them.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's really fantastic. I had uh, Dr. Lance Rosa, who's also uh, an attorney on, recently we talked about non-competes, uh, and doctor and doctor contracts and like oh man that's you know in a in a world where um, where doctor non-competes are becoming a thornier and thornier issue uh, to have you to have you get rid of them uh, that is that's a as a doctor I say wow, bravo um, that's you know and, and also let's be honest um, I, I think that that's gonna make doctors look twice at at veg and say wow that's that's the thing'm I'm, I'm afraid of and you know I, I've never thought it was it's never been right that someone can come and work for you, and then you know, work relationships are just relationships, and sometimes they don't work out. for For someone to have to pick up and move because they can't work in town anymore—that that's never seemed right to me. That that—that's you know, I understand protecting businesses, but um, but yeah, I I I have to say I I'm I'm really impressed. That that's just fantastic. Thank you, thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, in a in a world where we talk so much about burnout and compassion fatigue, um, but especially burnout, which is really you know burnout stems from where you work. Uh, It's not, uh, it's not, you know, what what your work is. And like, so um, when in a a place where you may be burnt out um, working too hard and you wanna get out of that job and uh, you can't because you'd have to move your entire family in order to find another place to work. That's just, um, it's an untenable situation. And we don't think that should be. I know personally, I don't want anybody who's continuing to work for me and doesn't want to. Um, I don't want them to feel trapped being an emergency vet is, you know, it's a it's a vocation. It's 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 your career. It's not like emergency vets can just go into general practice. Um, they chose emergency medicine because it's what's fulfilling and exciting for them. And if they don't want to work at Veg and they're trapped at Veg because they don't want to move their family, that's a terrible thing. I don't want to be responsible for that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, uh, David, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you talking with me. Where can people learn more about Veg? What's the best place for them to go?
1: Uh, veg vet, uh, our website um if you're interested in emergency also i'm going to be at ivex we're going to be there you can come by our booth at ivex i will be there i'm excited to talk to talk to everybody um i have the most amazing business partner in the world his name is david gladstein uh he's our president and he will be there as well and it, there's a ton of people that are interested in the business side of things and um he'll be there as well An exciting person to talk to as well you should have him on your show.
0: No, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll reach out for sure. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks again for being here guys. Take care of yourselves. Have a wonderful week. Um, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. And that is our episode guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I, again, I just left this conversation energized. What are we, What are we assuming about pet owners that's incorrect? What are we doing just because it's how we've always done it? What are our opportunities to just kind of break the mold and and look around and say, man, we've got, we have new technology, we have new medical insight, we have new diagnostic capabilities, we have new customer service modalities, Uh, pet owners are open to things now because uh, because they're being treated differently in other industries. What are the tricks that we're missing and what are the things that we could do to fundamentally change the way that we provide care. I just, I think that's so exciting. I've said it before, you know, I, I know that uh, the pandemic has been stressful for a lot of people. I know it's a stressful time right now. Guys, I'm still bullish on vet medicine. I, I love our profession. I love being in it. I think we do work that matters. I just, you know, I, 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 think, I think the future is bright for us. I really do. Anyway, guys, I'm going to leave it with that. Take care of yourself. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye.